Welcome to the Grace Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to become a community of grace and peace for the good of our city and the fame of Jesus. Every Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m., we gather together at the Malco Theater in Collierville, Tennessee, to be encouraged and strengthened in our faith by worshiping God through music, scripture, and a message for our lives. So if you're looking for a church home where you can feel loved and accepted as part of God's family, then come and join us at Grace Hill Church. You can visit our website at gracehill901.com for more information about our services and what we have planned for the upcoming weeks. We look forward to connecting with you. Now here's this week's message. Awesome, awesome. Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here. It is an honor uh, to have you with us today. We are uh, in a sermon series called Think Differently, and we are looking, just taking a journey through the book of Philippians and looking at this idea of uh, finding unity in a divided world. We are pretty divided uh, in our world right now, and so we're looking at the book of Philippians to get a little bit of help as we think about finding unity. And so today, each week, we've been talking about uh, some different things we want to think differently about, and uh, today, we want to think differently about greatness. We want to think differently about greatness. Now, I'm about to inject some division into the room just for a minute, okay? So I'm intentionally going to inject some division, maybe a little contentiousness right now, uh, but we are going to settle some debates, okay? Right here, definitively at Grace Hill Church, we are settling some debates. How many of you have ever found yourself in a, in a, uh, in a lively conversation, let's say that, about uh, who the goat is, the greatest of all time? Anybody ever gotten a conversation? conversation about that. Well, I'm going to put some goats up on the screen here, and I want you just to holler out who your favorite is uh, and who you think the greatest is. And if you don't know the names, just hear one and just yell it out. But we're definitively settling this right now, okay? Here's the first one right here. Jordan versus LeBron. Who is it? Jordan. I hear Jordan. I take that. Uh, let's go this one. How about this one? Brady versus Montana. Anybody? I think it's. I think we got to give it to Brady. I just. I think modern era. I just. I just think we got to give it to Brady. All right. How about this one? The Beatles versus Elvis. Come on, all my Memphis people. We got to go Elvis. We got to go Elvis, right? All right. Here, this one. This one. I. I thought about this one long and hard, and I thought about whether or not to put it up here. But people have very strong opinions on. Okay, which which one is greater? Here we go. New York City pizza, New York style pizza, or Chicago? Anybody? Yeah, it's toss-up for me. You know, it's like you can eat one of each, and then you're just done. Um, uh, all right, how about this one? Don't let me down here, family. Don't let me down. Here we go. Memphis barbecue versus Texas. Memphis. It's got to be Memphis, man. You got to give me that sweet sauce, that pulled pork. I mean, I'm a brisket fan. Give me some brisket, but I'll take, I'll take some central barbecue pulled pork with that. Oh, man, give it to me all day. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right, last one. Here we go. You ready? Dolly versus nobody, because nobody is better than Dolly. Am I right? Am I right? Our culture and our lives, we're consumed with being great, are we not? We're consumed with the idea of greatness. And, and why? Well, it's because I honestly don't think anybody just goes, well, I want to be mediocre. You know, none of these guys at the NFL Combine over the last few days are going, eh, you know, I just like to be mediocre. I want to be great. Um, we don't think about having a mediocre marriage or a mediocre career path. Our students in the room, you don't, you don't think about just being a mediocre student or a mediocre parent. We are all in some way, shape, or form a pursuit of greatness. 
Kids, students, you, you want to be great at school so you can get the scholarship or you can get the opportunity to go off to trade school or you've got a dream and a vision in your heart about what's next or maybe you don't and, and you need a little motivation this morning. And that's okay too. We're here for you. We love you. Uh, you're welcome. Um, we want to be great at work so that we can get the promotion. We want to be maybe great in our marriages because we saw a picture of a great marriage in, that we grew up in, and we want to try to model that. Or, or maybe we want to be great in our marriage because we came from a situation where it wasn't a good model, and, and we want to live a different story. And so we want, to, we want to be great. And so the question is, is what does greatness look like in the kingdom of God? What does it mean to be great in the kingdom of God? As a Christ follower, how do we in our lives deal with the issue of greatness. In many ways, as a Christ follower, um, the issue of greatness is a paradox. And if you don't know what a paradox is, just it's simply defined this way. A seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. And here's our paradox of greatness, okay? Our paradox uh, of greatness in the kingdom of God is this, is that the path to becoming great starts by becoming a servant. That's the paradox of the kingdom of God of greatness, that the, the path to becoming great starts by becoming a servant. Everyone wants to be great. Few want to become a servant. And this is the nature of following Jesus. The, the path to greatness in the kingdom of God is the path of servanthood. And Paul in this text, in chapter 2 of Philippians, we're, we're moving into chapter 2 now, Paul is going to give us a picture of what true greatness looks like. And it remains, when we read it and walk through it, I've been studying this all week long, it is still somewhat shocking to me, and I'm sure when Paul wrote this to his audience, given the cultural context that he was writing to, it was shocking to them as well. So we want to read this together. We stand for the reading of God's Word here at Grace Hill. So I want to invite you to go to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to read these first 11 verses, and then we're going to jump into uh, the, the message for today. Paul writes this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and one in mind and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest but each to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can be seated. 
So how can it be that the pathway to being great begins by becoming a servant in the kingdom of God? Well, if we look to the pattern of Jesus in verses five through eight here in chapter two, we see this idea, and and it's it's often talked about in this idea of Jesus as what's called the downward mobility of Jesus. It's gonna be kind of up here on the screen, and we're gonna walk through it here, and I want you just to see this progression of the downward mobility of Jesus. Let's, let's look here first, starting in verse five. It says that he was God, but he did not use that to his own advantage. Now, you got to understand when Paul writes this, this drops in a, a strong cultural context idea. Why? Because the Roman world, and especially here in Philippi, as we've been looking at, uh, the Roman world was obsessed with the idea of God's. If you think about Athens chapter, I mean Athens, Acts chapter 17, Paul shows up in Athens and there's gods everywhere, even to the point that it troubles him because they didn't want to leave anybody out. They said that we're, we're putting up a, a, a statue, an image uh, to the unknown God, just in case we left somebody out. This culture was obsessed with the idea of gods. And, and one of the things that they were really obsessed with was the idea that a human could become divine. I'll give you one cultural example. You think about Augustus. Uh, He stopped war. He brought peace to the kingdom. The kingdom, by all accounts, seemed to flourish. And many thought that Augustus was divine or became divine or a godlike figure. They revered him that way. And there was so much uh, myth and legend around him that he sort of rose to this prominence in in the Roman world that he was somewhat of a godlike figure. But in Jesus, the divine became human. He emptied himself. It's important to know that this was voluntary. Jesus emptying himself, uh, becoming nothing, making himself nothing. This was voluntary on the part of Jesus, that he was God, but willingly made himself nothing. Uh, N.T. Wright says that this decision was not a decision to stop being divine. He didn't surrender his divine nature. It was a decision about what it really meant to be divine. Another commentator, Linda Bevel, she says this, it is a poetic, hymn-like way of saying that Christ put himself totally at the disposal of people. Jesus, God, became human divine became human and made himself nothing. It's, it's the theological idea. I'm going to give you a theological word here, so everybody track with me on this. It's the theological idea of the, what's called the incarnation. And the clearest example we have of that is, is, is in John chapter 1. The word became flesh. The word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us, took up residence among us. The divine became human. And so in a world where that was obsessed with the idea of maybe a human becoming divine, we see this paradox in the kingdom of God that the divine became human. You contrast that with humanity. We are nothing And we spend our lives trying to make ourselves something. And yet Jesus was everything. And did not count equality with God 
something to be used to his own advantage, something to be grasped, maybe as your translation says. But he emptied himself. Paul goes on and he says that he took on becoming a servant. Now, now just think about that in, in, even in our modern day. The idea of a servant is, is kind of like, well, that's, that's a little less than. That you, you, you do a servant, you're a servant, you get hired on as that you know, role when you, don't have any, when you can't do anything else. And again, when Paul was dropping this into the context of his audience, the, the idea of a God not only becoming human, but lowering himself to the point of becoming a servant, not being sold into this, not being traded into this, but willingly stepping into becoming a servant, it's a paradox. It's a paradox of greatness in the kingdom of God. And I want to take you uh, to an Old Testament writer briefly that would have given us a picture of what this suffering servant would have looked like, this nature of the servant. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53, just a couple of verses, verses 3 and 7, says this. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. This is the uh, prophet Isaiah writing about Jesus, foreshadowing who Jesus would be. And then in verse 7, it says this, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The divine became human, emptied himself, became nothing, and made, uh, took on the very nature of a servant. But not only a servant, but one that was, again, human. He exchanged his deity, not, not completely, he didn't give up being divine, but he took on the idea, the identity of being a human, and it, which put himself in a position to surrender, as Paul says here, to death. Now again, we in our modern day avoid death at all costs. And not much has changed throughout human history. And yet Paul gives a picture of the divine becoming human, taking on the form of a servant so that he could submit himself, surrender himself to the point of death because the divine can't die. And this is a picture of greatness in the kingdom of God, this downward mobility. And then again, Paul puts a cultural reference in here that would have shocked, just caused shock and awe to his audience. And, and, and we have the tendency when we think about the cross to romanticize it a little bit. We, we sort of church it up a little bit. We, we wear a cross around our neck. We, we put a cross on the steeples of our church buildings. We, 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 sort, of, we, we sort of cuddle up to the cross. But in, but in Paul's day, there was nothing more vile, no form of death more vile than the idea of a cross. It was horrific. It was a horrific way to die. It was brutal. And one of the key markers of a Roman cross, a Roman crucifixion to die in this way was that it was designed to bring shame upon the person and the people that were associated with that person because of the nature of it. You were stripped naked. You were put in a prominent public place for people to see. 
In, when Jesus would have died, there would have more than likely been people who were instructed or just knew to go and mock the people who were being crucified. It was an act of shame. And even his type of death, the way that he died, reinforces the servant nature of Jesus. You see, the cross was reserved for the lowest of the class of humanity at this time. Crucifixion was designed, intentionally designed, to be the ultimate insult in personal humiliation. It was the last word on someone's life to humiliate them, dehumanize them, and bring them shame. Fleming Rutledge says this, degradation of the cross, degradation was the whole point. And so when we read that he, he humbled himself, that he submitted or surrendered to death, even death on a cross, this would have been something that would have just been unfathomable to the people as they were wrestling with who Jesus was and the idea of greatness and that he's become a servant and deity has exchanged uh, and taken on the nature of humanity. And he submitted himself all the way down to the point of death death on a cross. And it is this posture of Jesus's identity that led him to his greatness. Jesus has become a servant to all through his posture and through the nature of his death. He's become a servant to all. This is a God who is known most clearly when he has abandoned his rights for the sake of the world. He was God, but he, he didn't use that to his own advantage. He, he made himself nothing and took on the nature of a servant, made himself in human likeness. And then he humbled himself, surrendered to death, even death on a brutal, shameful, degrading Roman cross. And it was from this posture that he became great. It was from this posture that his greatness sprang from. It was from this posture, as we're going to see in just a moment, that God exalted him. Let, let's go back to Philippians chapter 2, 11 and just read 9 through 11. Therefore, because of this, anytime you see, again, old school Sunday school lesson here, anytime you see the words, therefore, you're supposed to do what? Ask what's it there for? It's a connecting statement in the languages. And it takes us back to what we just looked at. Because of this downward mobility of Jesus, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This section here, verses nine, well, really this, this entire section, but especially verses nine through 11, it's, it's believed to be an, an early Christian hymn or poem. Jesus assumed the lowest and the lowliest of positions, and out of this posture came greatness. Paul makes it clear in this section 
that because of Christ's action of self-humbling, that God exalted him from that posture and gave him a name that is above every name, that is higher than any name. A name that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every ruler every leader, every king, every warrior at that time and even into today. Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Why? Because he took on the nature of a servant. That the the path to the greatness of our king not, not, did not begin because of, because of uh, uh, royal dynasty. It didn't begin because of power and of fame and of notoriety. It not, did not begin because he, could con- he, he had a conquering army and, and went into every village and town and, and took over. No, it was birthed from a posture of being a servant. And remember what we've talked about is this, this idea of whenever you see Paul write the term Lord, it's subversive to the empire. Why? Because Caesar was Lord. Augustus was considered Lord overall. And Paul, in a very subversive way, says, no, 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 no. It is not by power and it is not my might. It is not by wealth. That greatness is born in the kingdom of God is from being a servant. And from that posture, Jesus has become Lord of all. Notice that it is God who made him great. Jesus simply volunteered to be a servant. It is God who made him great. And it is Jesus who simply volunteered to be a servant. That he willingly did this. He willingly took on humanity, humbled himself, became a servant, to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, the path to becoming great starts by becoming a servant. And so I wanna, I wanna take just a few minutes, I wanna apply this into our lives today. So the, the question is this, is how, how do we become a servant? How, how do we do this? Uh, C.S. Lewis said it this way, a really humble person or, will not be thinking about humility he will not be thinking of himself at all. And that's, that's, I think that's a way to almost summarize those first few verses there. But, but Paul gives us a, a glimpse of this. Again, if we go back to chapter 2 and we look here at the beginning, Paul gives us a glimpse of what serving one another, taking on this posture of serving looks like. He says this, therefore... If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and, and, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest but each of you to the interest of others. And then in verse five, he says this, in your relationships with one another, 
have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This, this picture of downward mobility, the same mindset, the same posture that Jesus had. Have this among yourselves. You, you could maybe try to summarize this. Well, it's very complex. We could spend, literally, we could spend weeks just unpacking these five verses and what they mean for our lives. I think if you had to take a snapshot and take a step back and say, okay, what do these verses mean? How would you summarize this? I think you could summarize them by simply saying this. Paul's just wanting us to look out for what's best for others. That if we're going to serve one another, if we're going to take on a posture of being a servant, that our 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 goal is to be great in the kingdom of God. And in order to do that, we take on a posture of being a servant. I think you could summarize it by just simply saying, look out for what's best for others. That's a a posture of being a servant, is that when we are on the lookout, well, well, what's best for someone else? What's best for him? What's best for her? Why? Because we are in many ways emptying ourselves Because our human nature says, well, what's best for me? But the mind of Christ, this mindset of Jesus says, no, no, what's best for others? We've got um, a lot of folks in our church that model this. um, And I don't have permission uh, to share her name, um, but I'm going to talk about her anyway. Uh, Jennifer Beatty is one in our church who consistently models this. And I, I could have a list. I mean, so again, just if you like, well, what about me? You're probably two. But Jennifer Beatty is one in our church who consistently models a posture of what's best for others. Because she works a lot of times behind the scenes. Many of you might not have even known who Jennifer was until she started singing up here every week. And then you're like, oh, I I know her. I I can put a face with a name. But Jennifer, she, every week, she, about Wednesday afternoon, she sends our staff a text message and she'll remind us that, hey, we've got to get all of our email content together because Jennifer sends out our weekly email for us to make sure we're all communicated and connected well together and we know what's coming. Jennifer is one of the first ones to show up on Sunday morning after our initial setup crew gets here. Why? Because she's behind the scenes setting up all that wonderful coffee and donuts, and she makes sure that all of the Lord's Supper elements are out, and you've got a, a Bible if you need one, and just she's just working that way. Why? Because she's, she's putting others above herself. She's on, always on the lookout to say, What's best for others? Jennifer and John open up their home every other Sunday night for community group to come in and just meet and and love one another and cry with one another and share with one another's burdens and celebrate things that they've been praying for. It's a beautiful picture of what greatness in the kingdom of God looks like, that it is the path to becoming a servant. And so here's a question I want to challenge us with today. As we try to apply this in our lives, okay, we we leave this place, what about Monday? Like you walk up, you you wake up tomorrow morning, students, you're going to go to school, uh, adults, you're going to get ready for work, or you're getting ready for the week, you've got plans, you've got all the things. How, How do I live this out in my life? Here's the question I want to challenge you with today is this, who's my other 
Who's my other? If, if Paul says to, to look out for what's best for others, let's just start with the one question of who is my other? I want you to simply identify one person who is your other, who you can serve in your circle of influence. Dads, it may be the dad you talk to on the sidelines during your kid's practice. Moms, it might be the, 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 the uh, ladies, it might be the, the coworker that you grab lunch with or you think about you know, their favorite Starbucks drink is a whatever it may be. And you just decide, I'm, I'm gonna serve that person. It, it might be a neighbor that you've been trying to build a relationship with for weeks, months, years, and, and you just say, they're my other. I'm gonna serve them. I'm gonna find a way, bring them a meal. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick their trash can up when the wind blows it over. I, I'm gonna find ways to simply be more concerned about my other than I am about me. Students, it, it could be a, a teammate. And, and you're, just, you're just on the lookout. And it could be in very tangible ways. Maybe it's that you notice that, you know, you get to show up every few months in brand new cleats or spikes or, or you've got new shoes that you get to play basketball in and, and this person on the team, they just always seem to kind of recycle the same thing over and over and over again. And, and you try to figure out a way, maybe I can serve them. Maybe they're the same size as me. And instead of me taking the new shoe, I can give it to them so they can have that experience. Maybe it's a, students, maybe it's a kid in your class that just seems to struggle with, with math or Spanish or chemistry. I don't know what it is. And you just simply get more concerned about them than you do yourself. And you just find a way to serve them by maybe offering to tutor them, maybe get together and try to do some more. Not, people don't do this in a creepy way. Like, like we don't want to like, like creep on people. Like that's, like that's not going to get us very far in this. But find a way in humility to just simply say, hey, who's my other? Who, who can I serve in my circle of influence? Who can be my other? And you may say, well, what's a, how, how do I know if I'm doing this? How, how do I know if I'm, if I'm, if I'm participating or if I'm, if I'm uh, kind of acting in this way? Here's a, here's a question to ask yourself. Have I served someone when I wasn't asked to do it? You know what would change in your marriage if you woke up every day and asked that question? How could I, how could I serve my spouse? And, and not in a way because he or she's asked me to do it. Moms and dads, you know what would change in the family dynamic in your home? If you just woke up every day and just said, how, how, can, I, how can I serve my kids? Well, you know what would happen in our, in our work environments? If, if we took on that posture of serving one another, if we said, who, okay, who's my other here? Okay, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna other them. Not smother, other. I'm gonna other them. Who is my other? 
and then from a church perspective, no bait and switch today, guys. I'm not asking you to sign up on a serving team. I'm not doing any of that. This is not a plug for going to serve somewhere on a church and come to set up takedown team. Although if you want to do that, we're always here on Sunday mornings. But I do think it's an opportunity to point our attention to next Sunday is that we're going to do a couple of serving projects next week. We're not going to gather. It's the first week of spring break. We take these moments uh, sporadically throughout the year where it gives our volunteers one a day where we, we don't set up and it just kind of gives us a little bit of an exhale to recoup. And, and, and we know there's, there's lots of people that are traveling on a day like that today, uh, anyway. And so what we want to do next Sunday is we're going to do two serving projects. One is a Germantown Elementary School. Uh, is our, our one of our partner schools. We've adopted that school. We have a wonderful relationship with them. And we're going to go do a cleanup day. And we're just going to, we're going to other that school. We're just going to pick up trash. We're going to pick up leaves. I'm sure we're going to probably going to plant some flowers. Uh, we're just going to do some things to just to bless them and love them. So then when they come back from spring break, they walk in and they go, wow, somebody put us over themselves. But then also we're, we're beginning, one of our, our uh, big strategic goals this year is we want to identify a couple of uh, city mission partners, organizations in our community that, um, that we can invest in and love them and serve them and do everything we can to bless them. And so we're beginning to uh, uh, get to know Kingdom Community Builders. It's an organization that uh, serves the greater kind of Orange Mound community. And, and we need a handful of guys to go down there next Sunday who have some carpentry skills. Uh, they have, are working with uh, the VA hospital and a couple of organizations with a home that they are trying to rehab uh, to turn it into a home for homeless veterans so that they can come and have a roof over their head and begin to think about what's next for them in their life, get a job, all of those things, and be well taken care of. And that place is down to its studs right now. It needs some framing work done. The joists are kind of blown out in some of the places. And so we're gonna take a, a small team of guys there next Sunday morning and just spend a few hours just serving with a posture of what's best for them putting them over ourselves. These are two very practical ways that our church is going gonna, is gonna to put ourselves in this posture. Why? Because we want to be for the good of our city. It's real hard to become a community of grace and peace for the good of our city if we're not taking on and striving to take on a posture of being a servant. So this is a key step for us next Sunday. So don't show up here at Malco. We won't be here um, unless you want to come for a movie. Uh, and then I think they start about 1130 or 12. But, but, but we're going to be pushing more information out this week, social media, email, text messages. You're going to get all the info that you need if you're available. I want you to be there. I want you to have this in your mindset as we move towards that. And, and the last thing is this. is that Jesus took this posture on not just so that we would be inspired by it, but so that we would be changed by it. It's a, it's a very inspiring picture. It's a, it's a very inspiring story. And as followers of Jesus, we believe it's true that this is what Jesus did. But he, but he didn't do it just to be inspiring. He did it so that he could bring you back into a love relationship with God the Father. He did it so that he could demonstrate love on a cross for you. So this morning you may be saying, I, 
I've never, I've never trusted Christ. And I want to invite you today to take that step. Because again, Jesus didn't do this just to be inspiring. He did it so that he could change your life. He became nothing, became a servant to the point of death on a cross because he was trying to other you and me. So today is an opportunity just to simply say, Jesus, I, I'm in awe of this. I, I, I believe in you. I believe that you did this. I don't, I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. The Bible's pretty thick. I'm sure there's a lot here that is confusing to me, but, but I believe that this is real and I wanna follow you. I wanna receive your love. And, and if that's a step that you want to take, I, I wanna invite you to email me. Super simple, just email me, jason at gracehill901.com. Because I don't, I don't want you to walk alone. I don't, I don't want you to walk by yourself. I, I wanna bring some people around you who can other you and serve you and bless you in a way to help you grow in your faith. The path to becoming great starts by becoming a servant. And Jesus did it in more powerful ways than anybody else that has ever lived. Let's pray together. Father, you're good. And your mercy, your love, your grace endures forever. And I pray today we would be moved and motivated and inspired by you. We would be moved and motivated and inspired to take on a posture of serving one another. We thank you for the gospel. And we celebrate you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.